0: Boy, I need those tubs, because you get up here, it's like golly. Uh, I'd like to thank the committee for having us. I'm uh, traveling with my husband and my mother, sitting over here. And uh, we're on our way to Florida, because next, Tom is going to be speaking Clearwater. And we thought, well, heck, we can do this on the way down. We'll just leave a couple days early, and we'll show up here. And uh, because I was told early on... That the reason we're here is to share our experience, our strength, and our hope. And in the last 33 years, I have had the privilege of a constant spiritual experience, a constant growth. Yes, I still go to I meetings. I go to my home group meetings every Monday night, which is the Columbia Destruction in Bayville, Ohio. And, uh, I made coffee, which I did at Christmas time, and Christmas day I was there, and I had the coffee pot on, and there were five of us, and I was the only one that had had a decent Christmas. So there you're still extending yourself, and you're extending the hope that maybe someday else, somebody else will also have a decent Christmas. I'm going to pull from a lot of years of experience, some good, some bad. I'm going to do some sharing. Uh, I don't have a canned You'll hear what comes into my mind, and some of the things people have heard before, and some of them are new, which just like I I had a new one today, and I'll share that later on. I'm always open to anything that I want to say. Isn't that a coincidence? And it's not. I believe it's divine event in our life. But we have to become aware, and it's taken me some pretty, terrible thing sometimes to make me aware and that's how we grow I'm going to tell you that I am the wife of an alcoholic I am the mother of alcoholics I am the niece the granddaughter, the daughter the aunt you name it, the sister-in-law my whole life has been surrounded with alcoholism I'm going to throw a word out here and it's no big deal but it's only been in the last few years that I realized, quote, what the adult child of an alcoholic is. And as I tell my story, sure you'll see why that's even important in any way at all. Because my parents did the best they could for me at the time in their lives that they were raising me. And I, my father drank. And my dad was a wonderful hard working construction worker. And on Friday nights when he got paid and he turned into Dr. Draco and Mr. Hyde, And early on I grew up knowing that there was something wrong with my dad. I remember being very young, I shouldn't have been more than seven years old, pouring a bottle down the drain on a Christmas Eve because he couldn't drink it. Of course I didn't stop anything and then it was a scene with my mother. I grew up the eldest of three children. I had a sister four years younger and a brother eight years younger. And I was this very, uh, quote, responsible person, you know, even from even, from the beginning, I was probably allen on material. Because I wanted to take care of things that I couldn't possibly take care of. But being the eldest, I assumed that responsibility. I remember a time in our life when my dad went to a meeting, now I didn't know what AA was at that time, and this had to be back when AA had first really gotten the notoriety of the country, probably in 1941, 42 But I know there was an 18-month period there when my dad didn't free. And I remember the peace and the tranquility and the serenity. Uh, I remember going from all the hills. Something happened. Life moves on, Daddy started to drink again. Uh, my parents moved us out to a little town in Avon Lake, Ohio. And uh, we did we moved into a little staff that my dad was gonna fix up for a home for us. And after the war I guess the guys got preferential treatment as they stood it as veterans, and we were able to buy homes and my dad had his two older serving service and he was a welder. So his job was in the defense line, but when our when he came to buy a home, he didn't get a C.I. loan, so they did borrow and sold, and they bought a little place on the contract. And I grew up in Avon Lake, Ohio. Uh, to say that I was a difficult child to raise would have been putting it mildly. And I identified with a lot of realities and the rebelliousness and the confusion when you grow up in an alcoholic home. Because, see, I loved my dad and I hated my dad, and I loved my mom, but I blame my mom a lot because she made my dad angry, and uh, you go through this yo-yo, this love-hate thing, and you get very confused when you're a child. And of course, there was no fixing in them. And uh, I rebelled. I just decided down the road somewhere that I was going to do what I wanted to do. And that my father and my mother, because they couldn't run their own lives, I thought, weren't going to direct my life. Well, I want to tell you, when you're 13, 14 years old, you really don't have much direction either. And I got into a lot of trouble. I call it, uh, creativity now. I've really channeled that. But at that time, it was probably called juvenile delinquency. And, uh, my parents sent me away to a school for girls when I was 15 years old. And uh, it was a home run by the sisters of Good Shepherds And I realize now the emotional sacrifices they made to try to bring me under control, as well as the financial, because it took from the rest of the family, too, to have me there and to keep me there for a year. And I will tell you that that was really a good experience for me because I couldn't um, bully anybody around. I couldn't have things my way. I had to do it the way the good sisters wanted me to do it. And I think I did a little growing up during that time period. I came home and I finished up my senior year of high school and I think I got my act together. I found out being in an all-girl school, you don't have boys to think about, you concentrate on your studies. And then I pulled my grades up and I got into one of our favorite Christian diversity schools. I didn't go far enough away from home. I came home on weekends, my the death teacher, my father was behaving himself. Of course, I was going to do something about it, don't ask me what. And one weekend, I had, was on my way into Cleveland, and I have to laugh about this because my grandchildren a few years ago gave me a book. And it was called The Grandmother's Diary. And in this book, Grandma is supposed to tell how she met Grandpa. And you know, we all write our own history, so be careful what you write. I have to put in this book. Grandma met Grandpa. Grandma was kid typing and Grandpa picked her up. <laughs> you know, now I could go into a lengthy explanation that I missed the bus. And of course, I had, I was young and carefree and I got out in the middle of the road, hiked up my shirt, stuck out my thumb, and my prince, me <laughs> stopped picking me up. That was it. Well, being the, kind of the the person I was, I came home that night and I told my mother, I said, I met the guy I'm going to meet. And she said, oh my god, how many times have I heard that? I said, no mom, no, no. this, this man is fascinating. Well, I don't know what I found fascinating, except this guy he had a duck tail, haircut, and he was a little, a little small. Not really bad, you know. And he was charming, you know, that, that charming, carefree, Alcoholic. And he talked funny. He talked Brooklynese, and that was different too than regular Midwestern Ohio
1: talk.
0: And I found him very fascinating. He was kind of forbidden, And I knew my dad probably wouldn't care for this, and that was fine with me. But see, that was another way to get back at my father. I have since figured out that I probably did a lot of self destructive things to myself. To prove to other people, Um, point I was trying to prove. And uh, I've always sabotaged to myself. And this is another case of, boy, this looks good. And I wrote my name on a piece of paper, and I laughingly say I know he probably threw them up in the air and picked up the first one that came down. But he called me. And I started my relationship with Tom, and I totally dishonested him. I had not shown too much inclination to learn how to cook or be domesticated. And uh, my mother is a fantastic cook. to this day and supplies my husband with good homemade sweet peas and And uh, I said, Mom, you're going to cook this dinner for me. I'm going to invite him to dinner. And I, when he comes up the driveway, quick, tie the apron on. I want him to think I cooked it. Well, When you start off that way, then you're always trying to do something you aren't. I had set my sights on Tom. I thought he was fantastic. He had had some sad things in his life, another alcoholic home environment, etc. And all he needed probably was me. And I had always lived in this little fantasy world. I never saw things in reality that they really were. And I could picture us getting married and living in the country and having this wonderful life. Because, see, I was going to be everything different than my parents did. Tom and I were inseparable. In his lead, he tells about meeting my dad. I will tell you just very, very briefly, that meeting my dad was one of the highlights. They punched each other's lights out in a bar. After drinking, my father forbidding to come near me. And three days later we ran away and got married. Once again, I was gonna show everybody I was gonna live and do my own thing. Well we had started Tom lost his job. And uh what were we gonna do? We were gonna rent a house. Well we didn't have any money. And my dad had just built a new uh car garage. And my parents said, Well, you can take this, you can put a floor in it, we'll book plumbing in it, we'll fix it up and you can move in it. So we had this beautiful little honeymoon cottage behind my mother and dad. And my dad said, how is he going to take care of you? Well, let's get him in, into the pipe better, getting him in an apprenticeship program. In about three years or four years of the apprenticeship, you'll have enough money and you'll be able to save and get out. And, and I, this was wonderful. This is, this is just marvelous. Because I figured no matter what happened, my parents were still there to help us. Thanks God. Because as it happened, it was a long time coming until I started to live in some of that fairy tale world that I had built up in my mind. You see, Tom was an alcoholic, and I didn't realize that. And I didn't realize the alcoholism was a disease, consequently, every time you go out, we'd have a fight, there'd be an argument. I'd try to drink with him. i drank drink with him, we'd, we'd go to bars. But sometime during the night, I would do something wrong. And found a drink, asking was looking at that woman over there, there'd be something, I'd set him off. And he'd bring me home, he'd dump me off in the driveway, and he'd leave. And sometimes he'd leave for all night, and sometimes he'd leave for three and four days. And when he came back home, I would beg him to stay with me and to tell me what I did, and I would try not to do that anymore. I spent the first five or six years of my married life trying to be what I thought he wanted me to be, because, see, I didn't know what I was. I had these dreams of what I wanted to be, but I... A year after we were married, we had our, our son, Chris. We had Tommy, we got Chris. In between these things, Tom and I separated. Mom and Dad said, maybe we should have put a revolving door in that little cottage." Because my solution, when I was unhappy with him, was telling him to go. He was only too happy to go. Then I'd want him back, and he'd be miserable where he was, and he'd come back. We'd be together, oh, this wonderful, loving relationship for maybe the longest six weeks. Then we'd be into it again, with the fighting, with arguing, with screaming. I did a lot of things. um, Begging, whining, trying to make him be what I wanted him to be, and he wasn't. He wasn't measuring up, and I took time. We separated after the second child was born, and we were separated for maybe uh, three months. And we came back, and we decided uh, to make up like we do. We uh, I'll throw this out. We were always great in bed. It was when we were on our feet that things didn't work out. So we were separated, and uh, something happened, and he left again. And I realized I was pregnant. When I think that, and I remember the despair, I remember the same. I always felt so used and abused. That was part of where I was at that time in my life. And I tried to abort that third pregnancy. Uh, it didn't work, thank God. That young man today is, uh, a fine 41 year old human being and uh a beautiful family and the joy of my life, and just is tell he was born on my birthday, on my first birthday, and he was left handed. And uh, I was him as one of my gifts from God. We had Craig and then we separated again, and this time for close to a year and a half. And I thought it was really over. I found that I wasn't very strong, and I had to set up walls so Tom couldn't wear me down and get that in my braces again, because I lived in such pain, you know, when people say, how oh, can God's name did that woman put up with that? Well, she probably deserved it, and I used to feel that God was punishing me, just that maybe this Tom was sent into my life to punish me, and this is what I deserve. I didn't have a very good feeling about myself because what, whatever I tried, it didn't work. I cooked wonderful meals. I cleaned my home. I tried, I went out when we couldn't afford to Ford, even buy groceries and bought at that time like a hundred dollars worth of lingerie. thinking that would keep him home. Then I'd go on strike. I wouldn't cook meals. There'd be no sex. The house would be dirty. I tried every script in the book to manipulate what we were to each other, and nothing worked. I knew Frank. And when he did it most of the time he was pretty stable. And he'd always apologize, and I'd always believe him. And I'd let my guard down, and then he'd do it to me again. And I got so tired of being treated this way. We had separated, and I had gotten a job, and I had the three boys, and I was still in the cottage behind my mother and dad's house. Thank God, because if it hadn't been for my mother and dad, our kids probably would not have eaten or had clothes. I went to work as a waitress. I was going to put him out of my life totally. Well, he went on the wagon, and on the wagon was he just didn't drink. And he was on the wagon for almost three or four months. And he called me periodically and I, I healed myself. I wasn't gonna let him back in my life. But then he was the father of my children. So little by little I let him start assuming some of his responsibilities. And we decided to reconcile. And then we decided that probably if we got away from my mother and dad, it was the logic of this staff living today, because they were the only thing that kept us going. But if we got away from them, maybe we could work on our own lives. Because we were just kids having kids. We moved into Cleveland, and after this reconciliation, I found out that Tom had been uh, unfaithful to me, and I was devastated. Because see, i had always tried to be perfect, and um, when I found this out. And my pattern at that time was, if you hurt me, I will do something self-destructive to hurt you. That's how I, that's how I was working my life. So I laughingly said, I went to my closet when I found out, and I got out my best sweat outfit. It was a mini skirt and white boots. And, you know, he's saying, now where are you going? And I said, out, out. And I went to one of the sleaziest districts in Cleveland of a West Plain Fifth Street. And I sat on the bar stool. And in those days, I wasn't too shabby. And it wasn't long before this man came over and said, can I buy your thing here? And I suggest, And he turned to look into my eyes. And I will never forget this. Because he turned to look into my eyes and I went, oh my God, my husband, i to and this fella, he, he must have, he just quote, like, oh my God, what have I done? Well, after he listened to me cry, and he figured out that I was just, quote, a real messed up kid, because that's what I was. I wasn't yet 20 years old. And uh, he said to me, look, I'm going to take you home. And he said, and I'm going to put you, jump down the corner, because I'm not going near where you live. But he said, I'm taking take you home because you don't belong here if you go home and you work things out with your old man he said but if you ever he said think about this he says, if you ever have problems like this again he said don't come down here and ruin some other guys one night out
1: <laughs> and I'll never forget
0: it and I and I thought, well maybe he went home to his wife you know and I went home to my husband uh, I also at that time in my life I was very very sick I was sick physically I had a lot of health problems I had these children to raise and I had my brain and uh and I had access to my own demerol, my own hypothermics and everything. And it really got to the point where I would prefer to be in the state where the demerol would take me than I did to try to live and take care of my family. Thank God somebody realized that I was addicted and uh the doctor was dreaming from that and that was not kind of an easy experience. But that experience of coming to play later on in my life also, uh, explains the, the fabric that we need to go spread. Anyhow, Tom and I have reconciled, and after I found this out, and I have done this teaching, I found out that I, quote, was pregnant. Now we planned this pregnancy. This was something that we were going to do to feel our new new life together, because we were always making a new life together. And our daughter was born. So by this time, we had three sons and a daughter. And this beautiful, black-haired, blue-eyed little girl came into our life. And I remember Tom putting his hand on her head and he said, This baby, this little girl, will never see me drunk. Well, she did. She did see me drunk. And I was trapped. I was trapped with these children. And there was no way out. And I want to tell you, I looked trapped. I was 22 years old when Green was born, and I probably looked older than I do today. Because I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I didn't know what to do about it. And I didn't know how to get out of it. And I didn't know how to fix it. We moved to bath. are my parents. And we bought a house on the end contract. Now, we had no credit because we owed every finance company that was in business. I think there were five of them. I don't know. the here them on Columbia household Because we were always... Borrowing money to fix our problems and we paid off one loan company, we consolidated, we went to the next. And that was never the answer. The money never helped because we didn't know how to handle it. And we were in so much debt because see, I brought something from my early childhood experience with me. I brought that thing where I watched my dad and his remorse make up to all of us. And I realized what I expected was my husband to prove that he loved me. And how do you prove you love someone? You buy them things. So after every drunken episode, I sit back and wait to be made up to. And I permitted it. I permitted him to buy me things he couldn't afford. I went out and bought things he couldn't afford because I deserved them after what he had done to me. And I deserve to have that new washing machine not the forge. And I deserve to have that black cashier coat with a white fur collar. When we couldn't even afford twenty dollars a week for groceries. But see, in my mind, I had—I would forgive him if he proved he loved me. That's what my dad did for us all the time. When my dad drank on weekends and he raised hell, we he had everything that money could buy because my dad was so full of guilt and remorse afterwards. And that's how he spoke proof he left us. And I didn't realize that I carried this. Because, see, I didn't take any responsibility for any of this for a long time. Everything was Tom's fault. If he didn't drink, everything would be fine. We moved back out to and we bought this little house on a long and once again the promises we made we'll buy this house, we'll fix it up, we'll put the white ticket fence around it, and we're going to live happily ever after. Well, we weren't in that house one month, because the house commitment was due, too, and Tom and my brother-in-law had been out drinking, and that was another thing too. My sister married of Tom's friends and he was an electrician, and they got married. And being that he was Tom's friend, you also know he probably drank with Tom. And my father now had his two drum, see his wife, for his girl, which I'm sure he wanted better for us. And, uh, my sister and her husband, whenever they visited us, the fellows would get together. I even went through a period of time where my sister and I didn't see each other, because we didn't trust our husbands together. So we didn't visit so that they couldn't get together. I remember one time we came to visit and the guys were going to go out and get chicken. You know, they were going to, don't cook girls, we'll go get chicken for dinner. And I think we had five children between the two of us at that time. And they went up the corner to get chicken and three days later we heard from them. They were in Pennsylvania. Now, this is how my husband operated. I mean, I never knew where he was. So I tried to regulate all his friends, where we went, who we associated with. By this time, he had his friends, and I had no friends. I had my children. We had bought this house. The house didn't lose you. The fellas had been out on a drunk, and once again, my sister and I had been beat. By this time, I didn't care what Tom did. It was like, he cared me as soon as I can uh, get these kid's raised, I'm getting out of here. I'm just not going to live the rest of my life this way. Well, my brother-in-law found out about a meeting. He came and went to town and they decided to go to AA. Well, when they went to AA, there was a woman who came, came in contact with myself and my sister and said, we'd like you to go to Illinois because um, my husband's in response to your husband. Now, this woman was everything that I wasn't. She was a lady, she had manners, she had ladies, she wasn't this dream freak or this person who sat and cried by the hours. She wasn't a person who had worked out plans to kill her husband and I had had an excellent plan. We lived near a railroad track. And sometimes Tom would pass out in the car in the driveway. And I figured if I could shove him over, take the car, put it on the railroad track, get out, get back to the house, and I stood in front of the mirror at home, practicing how I would look, when they came to tell me, you know. I mean, I went through the whole thing because I didn't want him to know that I had murdered him. Uh, the insanity the insanity. He did the things he did when he drank. He didn't do these things when he was sober. I did these things without benefit of anything but my own self will be. Um I remember one time he was out drinking and uh he, he had been working on this house. And of so course he disappeared on drunk. And he came home after one of these, and he was soaking in the bathtub. And of course, he didn't tell me where he was. And I was so full of rage. And I went in, and he was, you know, crouched down, you know, in the bottom with his feet up. And I had a claw hammer in my hand. And I was going to, I was going to actually smash his skull in. And then I thought to myself, I have four kids. What's going to happen if I do this? And I turned and walked away. He told me later, he said that his toes were curled. He didn't know which way to go. I mean, the things we put each other through. uh, I'm I'm sharing this because if you've been there, you've probably had some of the same feelings too. When Tom went to AA, and I went to Alamon, I heard uh, Marie this morning say about having activities, no asking, but lots of activity. Well, I jumped right in. And uh, if I recall, I heard a tape not too long ago in 1962, and my sister and I were co-secretaries of one of the first Caroline groups in Marine County. And I made coffee, and I worked very hard, because I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't perfect, that this man... Was the only problem in our life, and if he could save up and quit drinking, then we would have this perfect marriage. Because I raised the children, I kept the home clean, I kept things going. I gave Tom very little credit for anything. I told you I hated this woman. She would call me in the morning to find out how I was doing, and I didn't want to tell her how I was doing, and I didn't want her sticking her nose in my business. I resented her, but I resented her being, not her personally. She was everything that I wasn't. She represented everything I didn't have, such as a nice home, such as going and getting repair done because we were so broke that I couldn't afford to continue of anything. Uh, our kids were sleeping on master's feet on the floor of the house. We had every room in the house ripped apart. And I thought to myself, sure, if I live like these people live, I'd be out being wonderful, too. But I don't have time for this nonsense. I'll go to these meetings, and I'll put in my time. But don't try to hand me any of this stuff. And at that time, we had uh, our OJET book, and we had slogans. And one day at a time? Come on, i got my whole life. I want to get on with this. I sure don't want to live one day at a time. I was in the 20 years down the road. Um think? I never thought before I opened my mouth. I always felt that if you attacked me, I had to attack you. Me. Uh, that was that's what she did, didn't she? You always fought back. I never let anybody get one up on you. First things first. Well, first thing in my priority was getting my house in, and it wasn't anything else that was more important. Well, Tom went to all these AA meetings, and he, he was sober, but he wasn't getting anything done, and he didn't have any money, and I go and I see all these very successful people, and I was filled with envy, that's all I was jealous and I go to meetings and I always see somebody who had a better husband than I had, and he worked his program better. And I was always comparing my husband to other men in the program. And uh, not realizing that he was just he was just been planted, he was just gonna start to grow. And I wanted all this now. Instantly. Instant happiness. Well, about four months into time of sobriety, uh, he had a chance to go out of time and work. And one of the men who was close to what they called and said, uh, Glenn, don't let him go. He's taking full soul. And I thought, well, we are not living like we live, and I know what a construction worker on an overtime job can make, because my dad was one. And if he can work and get some money, maybe we can get our lives together. He's sober. He's not going to drink anymore. Get out there and make that money. So Tom left, and he left with my blessing, and he went, to South Dakota, which is saying to was in Ethiopia for the initial basis, and he got out there, and of course he started to drink, and I didn't realize it at the time, and when school was out, I took the four children, and I rented our house in Yvonne White House, and uh, as it was, and I left, and I took the four children to South Dakota, Well, when I got there, I realized that Tom had been drinking, and I only had to take one look at him, because he had this droopy left eyelid, and it always drooped when he drank, and he, you know, I knew instantly. Well, I walked back into the hornet camp. I can tell you that South Dakota was a nightmare. would be hitting it mildly. Uh, we did have some interesting things. I took over a horse job group, and I remember the time I needed a tub job group. And I made him climb their peak with a hangover. I chained him into it because he was their father, and he should be there, and he should go up that mountain. We went back there a couple years ago, and uh, they turned it into a sacred Indian mountain now. And uh, when I looked at it, and I thought, "Oh yeah, and look at how I desecrated it," because I uh, so escorted him all the way up it and all the way down it. Uh, we we've had, we had, had a few good experiences, but I will tell you that also I took back the control. Tom was thrown in jail in uh, Rapid City or Sturgis, I can't remember now, but I got a call in the middle of the night to come and get him. And I thought, great, I'll go in and get him already. We'll have like a 45 minute drive back. And I can tell him exactly what I think of him. He's let us down again with rat, you no good loud to Because my tongue, was like a sharp story. I've always been able to uh, use the weapon of sarcasm which means hearing us less. I've always been good at that. And, uh, that's something I had to learn ill and i not to do. And, uh, anyhow, I left my children in this ranch house and I am thinking in my mind, I can get in there and get in and be back in an hour, hour and a half, and I'll have a chance to get my engine on the way home. Well, so I went off the road, and I don't know if any of you have ever been in a blizzard in the north, but I did the worst thing I could have done. I got out of my car because I thought I remembered there was a farmhouse. And the minute I lost contact with the front of the car, the was snow And I remember rolling down into a ravine and crying at my God, my children, are alone. To my responsibility as a mother didn't dawn on I me mean, when I was set out to get revenge and to And I left my kids alone in that farmhouse. And if I died on that road, which I was sure this is what was going to happen to me, I was going to freeze to death. My eyes were so shut. I was going to pay the ultimate price, wasn't I? Because my husband was in jail and there was nobody with my children. And I think the oldest at that time was used seven. A fuel truck found me crawling in the middle of the road. And uh, they couldn't turn around, the roads were passable, but they took me in the car as and I found somebody with a four-wheel truck to put brought me back out to the farmhouse. And when I realized that I had a danger, not only my own life but my children with vengeance one more time, I decided to leave town. You know. Now I had gone through this specific love experience, and I had gone through the love hate experience, and I had gone through fear too. When I left town, I felt nothing. I absolutely could have looked through him like that at the time. I had made up my mind that the only way he could hurt me was if I let him come back into my life and if I allowed myself to love him. and I would never be fed up by him again. Because, see, I always felt that what he did was his deliberate setup to hurt me. And I did not realize that alcoholism is a disease. I have no Why can I have a drink? Push it away and go on with my life and someone else can't. Because I don't have the disease of alcoholism. I have the disease of craziness because I had to learn to control, but I didn't have the disease promoted by the alcohol. When I left town, I came back to on life, and I settled in this nice building. And about three or four months, he came and knocked at the back door, and I remembered the same thing. If you have any C left, leave us alone, get out of my life, so I had a chance to live. He went to New York, and in this story, himself about his suicide attempt and I'll have him back home. He said, see, by this time, I had come to the level where I could prostitute myself. my I could sleep with this man for his paycheck because I just wasn't making it on my own money. And I thought, if I had him come back, maybe at least I'll get some money. So I sent him there, and he came back to uh, Avon Lake. I think he worked a week came home, there was some kind of a team he attacked me now that they, was not the first time I had been attacked uh, I had been attacked before but I always dropped charges this time I didn't, this time I pressed charges, he went to jail uh, my brother-in-law got him uh, to a meeting and he got out and he was put on probation and I got a hammer over his head now if you ever touched me and I have free license and I give this tongue. If you ever touch me again, you'll go to jail is what you'll have to serve of sentence. Here my brother in law decided to go back to LA. And uh, my brother in law had, had showed it up and had a baby. And uh I really didn't care. But I got contacted once again to go to Al-Anon, and I thought, I'll go, because I don't want anybody to say that I'm not helping or I'm not trying. But I did not go for me, because I still was not aware that there was anything wrong with me. I would tell you that I was a slow learner. I was active, but I did not give back to Tom got sober, and golly, he even had a first-year anniversary. And I was still uh, sarcastic, feeling sorry for myself or me. There he was, sober, and he was still living in his ripped up house, and nothing was getting done, and he wasn't doing anything I wanted him to do. And once again, see, I wanted him to take care of me, but I didn't do anything to take care of me. This program will develop you in ways you've never dreamed. Uh, I learned to drag things off of sea lawns and retain and upholster. I learned to lay like blocks. I paint. my wallpaper. I did a great deal of this in the beginning as a great martyr because he would be do it. He was, he was going to be doing it. When I realized that actually it was a blessing that I finally took some responsibility for my own life instead of blaming Tom because we didn't have things. Now I have to, I took a positive view. It was like, oh yeah, you know, so well, I'll paint, so well, I'll fix that piece of furniture up. And one of the greatest compliments is he had somebody home not too long ago and uh, he took me to you know, I hope someday she says I can have all this junk like you've got. Here, are all fixed up too. And I like, yeah, you can someday, because that's what it was. It was calfed off, it was things that I found, and things that I fixed. But I didn't do it with that good feeling for me. I did it with resentment toward my husband. You now and I helped me learn to change those attitudes. Tom was still with probably 18 months and things weren't going real well for us, I was not happy. And I came up the stairway, and we live in a house that's remodeled; it's got open two by fours. And all the way up that stairway, I had punched the two by fours with the back of my hand. When I got to the top of the step, my hand was all bleeding, and I didn't even realize it. I looked down and I thought, my oh God, I am sick. Resentful, resentful, person. And I think for the first time I realized that a lot of our problems were all coming I went back to my alumni meeting and I finally went back and started to listen. I started to ask and people were taking me use the tools, use the tools, use your audacity, I read it, and I see in there that would apply to me. And I still pick up that book on a daily basis and read it. And it always has a message for me. Tom and I grew in this period of time. He grew in his program, and when he was growing and going ahead, he reached back to me what I could do with my mom program. And he left home. It was not a happy time in our life. But I always feel that anything in these crises probe us and get us sent in another direction. Uh, here's his evaluation of my well-and-on program made me stop church and I got very interested in a spiritual program. So I blessed Tom today because he sent me on my spiritual quest and I gained a faith and an understanding. I would not have done that because, see, I got a little confused and I thought I was going real, real well. And I wasn't. I was failing in a lot of areas. And uh, I have had a chance to give my name to this boy. My oldest son and our youngest, our daughter, were people that I expected such a out of. And I really drove it home. I hammered it. And uh, we did it my way in our house. If it wasn't done my way, it wasn't done right. And I had that called to my attention a couple of years into my alien program. So I brought Tom into that opportunity. Our daughter Colleen, when she was 23, uh, decided that maybe she was alcoholic. And the way she decided this was she'd gone to meetings with her dad for years and years. And Colleen uh, would drink, and then she'd see this very despondent person, a person in, in emotional turmoil. And I had nothing else on by that time to not try to tell her what was wrong with her. I said, God, I jacked off. We had communication with her dad. We went to a meeting. She come home and she said, Mom, I've got to tell you something. She said, I heard a woman speak tonight. But I didn't identify with her drinking pattern. God, I identified with her emotions. I thought, yes, yeah, I knew this. Your dad knew this. Now you know." She set out, got all involved in her AA program, and uh, they spent many a happy hour discussing their children. Her brother Chris, six months later, decided that maybe there was something wrong with him. Now he had come to us many times to said, "What do you think?" And we'd say had what kind of problems he was dealing with. And, Chris's life wasn't going well smooth. He worked hard, but didn't seem to have any money, nothing got done. Spent a lot of time drinking, partying, And he finally came to the decision, just months after his sister, that he also was an alcoholic. And I'll tell you a cute little story because during one of his living episodes, one of his other sons came and said something about being down in this bar and raising in hell and we were in the living room and here's Tom with 20 years of sobriety and he says, he, I'm going to go down there and drag him out of that place he was so mad and I'm holding on to him saying, no, no, you need a hell you can't do that you know when it's your own it's the hardest thing, quote, you can't you know, I could cut him out of my life but my kids my children that was very difficult to be cast with love. And I'll never forget the day the priest stood in the doorway and looked at me and had that possible look at my dad used to have me. the day. The priest stands six foot five and goes off 240 times. And I want to tell you he scared me. And I told him that. He said, I loved you with all my heart and soul. But I can you frighten me and I don't deserve to be frightened. Don't ever come here as long again. you think that know, one of the hardest things I had ever had to do. And we didn't run right out and join the way. But within six months, he started coming to meetings and hanging around. We now have, like, 13 years of continuous to, to And that also has come back into our lives. Never, you never give a gift away if you don't receive a Tom and I have two struggling alcoholics. We had our programs pretty well together, and wasn't always beautiful? And we moved that daughter of ours, the twenty-six years age to Florida. dad and I took her down, moved her into her first real apartment, and she had written us these beautiful letters before she left. That she was with this Mother's Day, May nineteen eighty-five, and she uh, had given me this letter, telling me what I had meant to her in her life, and thanking me for making her a strong woman and how her father was her spiritual guide in life but I was her guide towards the hard realities of life. I have to thank you that my daughter was able to think, to take over the hand. and they really made that possible through her. In this me into her apartment we said I could die and uh, I came home and two days after his in and and to her apartment and children and then I got that phone call my world cry now I will share something with you when I talk about reminding family today we were standing in a line and we were waiting to eat and there was a woman in front of me and she sat on her on jacket and we started talking and I saw a book in her hand. And we found out, by talking, that we both belonged to the things quickly. And we were able to share. And we was able to talk, and we were able to talk we on and, and that's what our program took on for, the both of us. And I don't believe that was an absolute coincidence that we happened to be standing next to each other. And we were able to share. I believe that's the spirituality of this program. We also needed a wheelchair for my mom to get her over here. And uh, Jill, wife Ann, has a son who works for a medical supply company. And when I went to this at 12.30 this afternoon, by 1 o'clock, I had a wheelchair at the door. Wasn't bad a incident. <laughs> when Karina was killed, Tom and I against separate direction. I had had enough al to learn to stand on my own two feet. And I knew that if I could just do one day at a time, and that's all I ever tried to handle, I never knew the see reality of that before. You had this perfect world. And what happens when your perfect world comes tumbling down? You know, of your own. You hang on with your fingernails. You let the love and the support of your children, the friends, all the people that you have met, hold you up when you can't hold yourself up. I will not tell you that 11 years have taken away the pain. I still miss you terrible. But the things of her life took out of our lives has been filled with so many young women I have all kinds of young women in their twenties and their thirties and studies now come back into my life and uh, one of my friends had a girlfriend. She spent a lot of time at our home growing up. We lost track of her. She came over to our AA home. They had a who started to write start the license. Through that relationship, she's had an understanding of her own alcoholic mother. Some of the things that happened to her as a child. I was able to stop in Montana last year and hand her the new Al-Anon book to see how it works. Another girl I went to high school with, her granddaughter was murdered, and I was able to uh, be there to help them and hand her daughter. See you all in between the conference and the third time speaking testers. And said, I think I'm leaving the program. God works through the people that we meet and he speaks to us through each other if we listen. We're open. I don't know if I do this often without having public laws in my life. An awareness of people. a uh, love for people in terms of uh, each person is precious. Knowing that he can do nothing about anything that's happening, grant me the humanity to accept. I do know that I have not lived my life in hate or resentment of the man that killed our daughter He was in prison. He is serving four consecutive life sentences. I hope you're every day of it. But I cannot give him the right deliverance tree in my mind. And if I carry hate and resentment, I'm not going to do anybody any good. Well, we went to Florida, and I see that the criminal justice process, and there was an advocate there. It goes to carry these principles in all our affairs. I do volunteer work as an advocate. I work somebody other society. Somebody said to me, how can you do that? That's what I had to do. When I mentioned briefly that Tom and I took different directions, a lot of families don't survive against the time. And until um, so you have experienced this, you wouldn't know. If you have buried one of your children, you do know the time. You know the experience on the relationship. You can't support each other because you've got all you can do holding yourself up every day. Tom eventually had a great family. And I'll tell you a, a, a beautiful story because like uhm, I'm going to get this is a his leave because my son had something to do with it. Our son had something to do with it. When Tom had broke down and I realized that he was really losing it, he did not drink, but he he was really having some problems. And uh, I knew that my son was on a golf course because when I met to the woods, if the guys aren't at a meeting, if they're not at a coffee shop and the weather's decent, we are on a golf course. So I knew that he was at a local golf course just down the street. And I went up there, and another quote: divine intervention. Here comes these four guys going in off the nine. And he took one look at me. said, Mom, And I said, here's this your dad. And needs help. And I can't help. Took these three guys. And he helped. And he put his arms around his dad. And he said, you know, the thing he took him to a hospital, and he walked his dad down into a healthy, productive life with him. Now, Deb, our son, which is five years sobriety at that time, and I remember his dad saying, I just died because he killed my daughter. He killed his sister. And our son, Chris, said, Daddy. But where did you get that God? That's not the God we taught us. That's not the God we've you known all our lives. It's the God we've tried so so we to when Carina was killed. They took Adam's children, our God And he walked I feel in that part of the story because our son, in his sobriety, he was able to help his dad. So he was able to uh, give the gift back to us. We gave him life, and he gave us life again, too. Tom and I um, are very glad to be here. I hope that I keep growing. I will need this program the rest of my life. Uh, I'll throw out that we are the parents of the kids grandchildren and our oldest one is in college in Michigan and uh, not only have we gone through with ourselves, our parents, you know, our sons, our daughters. I am seeing some things to my grandchildren and uh, it's you know you sit back and you think, Oh my God, you know. But I'm not reacting. I thought I had to quote react. I thought I had to sit but anon has taught me that I don't, that I have choice is how I behave, that I don't have to fix anything but myself, and I used to a such a huge responsibility for everything. Um, I'm very privileged to have my mother with us. Patience was not one of my virtues, as you could see in my early part of my need, and I wanted everything now. My mother was very ill, and I uh, had a medical mishap in the hospital, and we had to walk her back to help. And she said to me, where did you get the patients? She said, we never had patients. I got my patients from the LMS program. Uh, that's the only place I could have gone. I'll also tell you that my 4 dear mother became addicted to, uh, to certain drugs, painkillers, and she was in the hospital. And when I talked about knowing uh, what withdrawal from Demerol was for myself, or oh, we kiddingly said, my mother, the drug addict, is 75. We had to withdraw her. And Tom and I were able to uh, take her through that one day at a time, and finally she fixed it, you know. But uh, the things, the, thing, the experiences that, that you have, and it's just like you keep thinking to yourself and that's something else, the awareness. Until you observe somebody like your own mom, and you realize what a discipline is, that's another awareness that can my life to, quote, something that would have been considered a mishap. I prefer to try to make uh, a garden. Things grow, they all need a little bit of manure, or that other stuff that we say happens in our lives. But we can take that and we can use it constructively, and instead of letting life beat me down and the world destroy me, I found out that I can stand on my own two feet and I can live life one day at a time. And Ellen, and I have permitted me to try be the best person I can be, and I think I got a few more years, despite having the long longevity of my mother, and uh, I hope I just keep on growing. Thank you. Thank you.